Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome listeners, and do I have something unique for you today. A lovely creepy Monday, and what a way to start the week. I've been reaching out to a couple of Redditors online about particular stories that relate to this question. When did your something is very wrong here gut feeling turn out to be true? Have you had a gut feeling in your life that has just nagged at you, that wouldn't leave you alone, and no matter what you did to distract yourself, you just couldn't shake it? Well, I have a set of stories for you today that a number of people were willing to share with us. These stories are unique accounts that had their gut feeling working in overdrive. Also, some of these stories aren't for young ears. They cover topics such as death and abuse. I'll be including though helpful information in the show notes around support networks for those that seek it. And should you have any questions regarding the stories, let me know. Reach out to me on storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. A special thank you to those that have shared their stories, each one captures something very different regarding that gut feeling. I won't be adding music to these stories, out of respect of course to the individuals that share them. So turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and get ready for something different. Our first story is by I Like Wartottles. My dad has had health issues since 2008, when the first stroke hit. Since then, he was always in and out of hospitals, and it became just another thing. It happened so much that he would dismiss symptoms just so he wouldn't have to go to the hospital again. It became even worse when he was diagnosed with stage 4 kidney failure and had to do dialysis three times a week. Anyway, I went to visit him about a month ago. And out of the blue, he kind of looks at his hand and says, You know, my finger has been smelling funny lately. I'm all incredulous and tell him funny smells usually means infections. I joke around and tell him he needs to get it looked at before they have to amputate it. Spoiler alert, by the time he had it looked at, the blood flow through the finger was compromised due to a fistula in his arm. He needed to get it amputated. This is where the funny feeling kicked in. My grandmother, his mum, passed away in 98, after her leg was amputated. The fact that he had to have anything amputated started making me anxious, and I dismissed it as being overdramatic. His surgery was the Friday before Mother's Day, and I went to visit him after work to see how he was feeling. He was so groggy and kept falling asleep at the table, so my mum and I basically carry him to his bed. He's a proud man, super old school, in a I'm a man, I don't need my wife and daughter helping me kind of way. But he clung to us because he just couldn't do it on his own. We got him to the bed and he couldn't even lift his leg up. I had to do it for him and stick some pillows under his head. I looked over at my mum and the look on her face made my stomach drop. And I asked her if she wanted me to stay with her tonight. You know just in case. She said yes. 2am. I go downstairs to check on them because I can't sleep. He starts moving around and trying to take his sweater vest off because he's hot. He was still wearing the clothes from earlier. 
So I help him unzip it, and he wakes up briefly, sees that it's me and smiles. He puts his good hand on my arm and just smiles. 4am. Saturday morning, mum wakes me up and really calmly says, she doesn't think daddy is breathing. I knew it before I entered the room because, in addition to the kidney issues, he has some breathing problems too, and always took laborious breaths when he slept. It was quiet. I hesitate to use the term dead quiet, because that's exactly what it was. We called 911 and the ambulance came. They got him back, lost him, got him back again, but said he was clinically brain dead, and we should probably call the family. So we do. 1am, Mother's Day. My sister and I are standing watch in the room. We agreed to sleep in shifts as it was her turn. My anxiety is skyrocketing, my fright or flight is kicking in, and I just want to leave and go for a walk outside the halls to calm my mind. So I get up, and as I'm passing his bed, my anxiety becomes more direct, if that makes sense. I suddenly felt that I needed to be there. So I stood by his bed and held his hand. I told him that we are there for him, and just spoke about anything that came to my head, because honestly, I'm just flying on autopilot when it came to cognitive function. I do remember saying, right before I sat down, that I know he was trying and that we don't want him to hurt anymore, and we'll always love him. I went to go sit back down because I was crying, and a few minutes later, the machine started going haywire. He passed at 1.30am. I am so sorry for your loss, and thank you so much for sharing your story. Our next story is by Abby Rogue. The first friend that reached out to me in high school invited me to a sleepover that became a weekly occurrence, met her stepdad, and instantly my stomach was unsettled. He was weird, tried too hard to seem cool, strong or useful, and stuck around us when we set up the sleeping bags in the living room, and hung out. I kind of understood why he lingered the first night, but the lingering continued throughout the couple of years I stayed over. I told my mum I thought he was weird and suspicious, and she told me never to judge a book by its cover. One day, I found out that she had been continuously molested by him for years, and had told her to bring friends over so he didn't molest her. Her mother admitted it. It was so that he could groom her friends. He was physically aggressive with me one day, and I never went back. Took a month or so, but I couldn't take it and gathered as much evidence that I could. Things that used to mean nothing were suddenly glaringly obvious that something was wrong, and went to the police. It was something I never really wanted to be true, but it had happened before. Some sort of, something is very wrong here, situation has happened to me a few other times with similar or same results. And I just knew that I couldn't be wrong, but I did question myself along the way. Abbey Rogue goes on to say, Yeah, he was arrested, the friend was put in the custody of relatives, and he went to court, then to jail for a while. He didn't get as much time as I wanted, but he has a permanent nasty mark in his file, and is restricted to a bunch of stuff. So I take comfort that he can't do anything like travel with ease, go to parks, etc. At least, legally. One commenter wrote, Did you lose contact with the girl? 
Abby Rogue replied, No, we drifted apart. I had only known her for about two and a half years before all this went down. She still hangs out with her closer friends that she had before me, and the last time we spoke was five or so years ago. Although I don't regret it at all, I'd never change what I did. But I wish I had said something sooner. It took a long time for the guilt of turning her life upside down to go away before I realized I helped more than I hurt. For those of you who need a contact number and are in Australia regarding sexual assault, domestic violence, and counseling services, the number you can call is 1-800-737-732, and that's under the 1-800-RESPECT.ORG.AU website. They have 24 hours contact lines and 24 hour chat lines, and you can even click a button that says find services in your area. Do not hold back. There are people that will listen and support you. I'll include the website in the show notes. And for those from the US, the other number you can contact is RAIN, that's R-A-I-N-N. It's the Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network. It's the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. I'll include their website in the show notes as well. Their number is 800.656.4673. I'm not affiliated with any of these, by the way. They're just contacts that I think may help some of you out there. Thank you so much, Abby Rogue, for allowing me to share your story. Our next story is by Count Spockula, 1983. This happened a couple of years ago at the church I attended. One day this young lady in her mid-twenties started attending our service. She was very polite and friendly and seemed eager to be part of our congregation. After several weeks, she started bringing her brother, who I'll call Brody, along with her. He was slightly younger than her and seemed nice enough. The more time I spent around him, however... I began to realize how different he was. He was very socially awkward, with odd mannerisms and speech patterns, but I just assumed perhaps he was autistic or something, so that wasn't a big deal. I didn't become alarmed until I noticed how fixated Brody was becoming on our pastor and his wife. He constantly followed them around like a puppy, begging for their attention, and growing upset when they associated with anyone besides him. Once while walking beside our pastor, I looked across the parking lot to see Brody giving me the most hateful stare you can imagine. I was instantly creeped out. From that moment, I knew something was dangerously wrong with this man, but no one else seemed to notice it. Fast forward to several weeks later. I walk into church for the Wednesday night service to find our pastor alone without his wife or children. He tells me he sent his family away to somewhere safe for a few days. Apparently Brody had called the pastor's wife and had threatened to rape and murder her. Luckily he couldn't find a car to borrow, or he very likely would have carried out his threats. After the police came and placed him in custody, it was revealed that Brody had done this exact thing several times before to other women. It was all such a surreal experience. I've wondered if perhaps I should have spoken up about my early suspicions, but part of me thinks I would have just been laughed off or dismissed. Thank you Count Spocula1983 for sharing your story, and I can see how you'd feel that way, depending on the situation and how it's handled. It might be a great idea to also bounce those ideas off someone you know or trust, see what they think, get a second opinion, and then go from there. That old saying, better to be safe than sorry. Thank you so much for sharing the story. And I'm glad Brody was apprehended before he could do anything serious. 
Our next story is by Bud Zappit, 47. I was at my grandparents for a gathering and me and some of the other older kids were playing catch or tag in the front yard. I can't exactly remember, but it doesn't matter. The younger kids were playing in their backyard or doing whatever the hell kids do. While playing, I could swear I heard crying, wailing, or a screaming sound. But it was very quiet and distant. It was one of the most horrific screams I've ever heard. But I asked the others and they didn't hear a thing. And all of them insisted it was nothing. I don't know why, but felt absolutely dreadful and terrified, yet everything was fine. So I decided to go check it out. I run into the backyard and it turns out my little sister, 45 years at the time, was bleeding severely. She was covered in blood and trying to crawl towards the house. I swear it was out of a damn horror movie. Looking back, I can't believe this actually happened. Long story short, my little cousin, 7 to 8 years at the time, decided it was a good idea to play catch with some broken glass he found in the backyard and ended up cutting her jaw very deeply. Kids are dumb. Goodness, that went south pretty fast. Thanks for sharing, Budsabit47. The next story is by Karma Girl 314 Had a man come into the fast food restaurant where I used to work several years ago. It was just before closing. There were two of us up front, a manager a few yards away on a personal phone call, and someone in the back doing dishes. This man is a big, rough-looking, blue-collar kind of guy. This is relevant in a second. He orders a three-piece meal, and my friend rings him up while I pack his food. My friend goes, Your total is X dollars. And then I hear the register open and hear the guy say, You have very soft hands. Do you moisturize? Instant alarm bells going off in my brain. This guy looks like a man's man. Not the kind of person who would ever chat about skincare regimens. My friend is an idiot, though, and starts prattling about lotions and whatnot. I don't do anything though. What am I going to call him out on? Being too girly? But the next thing I hear is, Oh, looks like you gave me the wrong change. You gave me a $20 and four $5 instead of a $5 and four twenties. Bam! We got ourselves a flim flammer. My friend is still oblivious at this point. The guy is literally showing her the $20 and four $5. How can she argue? I'm still a little green myself and not sure what to do. I don't have proof of anything. Then he hits her again, asks for change for another large bill, distracts her with random chatter, then, oh, look at that, she messed up his change again. By that time, I'd gone to my manager and tried to make him get off the phone. It took him a second to understand what I was saying. By the time he got to the front, the charade was coming to an end. The guy saw us staring at him, grabbed his food and left. Our manager counted the draw. He ended up getting just over $200 out of my idiot friend. She had to pay it all back. None of it would have happened if she followed store policy on counting change back into the customer's hand. Never really looked into the legality of that, and it's too far in the past now to do anything about it. Karma Girl 314 goes on to say what a flim flammer is. So I heard the term flim flammer before that night from my mother, who was a manager at our local Walmart. She would come home every night full of the stories of the latest scams that people tried to cook up to steal from them. She mainly used the term quick change artist. She never told me about the pattern though. 
so I was unprepared for that. When I was certain that the man up front was actually scamming us, that's when I went to get my manager off the phone. It took an extra minute to get him to understand because we used different slang. This is how the conversation went. B. We got a quick change artist up front. A what? A quick change artist. Huh? A flim flammer. We've got a flim flammer. That was word for word the conversation. And thanks to you, Karma Girl 314, that flim flammer was only able to get away with $200. Can you imagine how much more they would have grabbed if you hadn't intervened with the manager? Good job. And thank you so much, Karma Girl 314, for sharing this story. I appreciate that. Thanks. Your next story is by Anonymous. Worked as an NICU nurse for a few years. I had a micro preemie who in general wasn't doing so great. At 8pm the baby looked fine. At 11pm I thought their abdomen looked a little greyish. Called all the other staff nurses in to look at the baby. No other symptoms at this point. Everyone said kiddo looked fine. Abdomen was soft and non-distended. Something kept nagging at my nurse brain, so I called the NP to take a look. She agreed that everything looked okay, but we should test a blood gas to see if they were overcompensating or something. Bedside blood gas came back normal. She went back to bed. Still, something wasn't right, and I don't know how I knew, but I did. I called the doc and made her come see the baby. She agreed with everyone else. I'm just being paranoid. I tell her that I know something is wrong. She gives me the runaround and basically says she doesn't want to come to the unit because it's late. She eventually comes up and tells me they're fine. There's nothing going on, all while letting me know what an inconvenience this has been for her. She orders an abdominal x-ray, just to basically say she did something. Baby at this point is still stable, no changes in vital signs or appearance, X-ray comes to the bedside stat that baby's intestine has ruptured and he has free air in his abdominal cavity. Cue a collective oh fuck from everyone around. Kid had bedside surgery less than two hours later because they weren't stable enough to transport to OR. Meanwhile, I sat back and basically said, I told you so, to everyone. Made sure the doctor knew that my annoyances are the only reason this baby is still alive. And maybe listen to your nurses next time. They ended up making a full recovery. I'm 100% sure they're still alive today. Because I was the nurse that night. The parents agree. Feels good, man. And damn right. You should feel good. You saved a life after all. That's fantastic. And thank you so much for sharing this story. Our next story is by Quad Americano. Ten years ago, I was walking home from college, finals week, and being a graphic design major, my bag is full of projects and art supplies to work on at home. I'm at the intersection of two very quiet streets, two blocks from my apartment. I see a car doing 30 miles per hour coming my direction. Two guys are in the car, which is a new Chrysler, with huge flashy rims and tinted windows. It was not what I'm used to seeing around campus at all. Most students are driving bikes or old Hondas. It honestly looked like a stereotypical drug dealer's car. I see the driver's head bend to look at me through the tint as they drove past. Red flag number one. So I turn off my music, take out my earbuds, and start paying attention to what's going on. Another student is crossing the street, and I'm turning the corner to walk to my apartment. 
the Chrysler starts to break. One guy hops out and kind of stands in the street looking around like he's searching for something. Red flag 2. He's the jump out boy and look out. The other guy, the driver, must be the muscle. The other student is still walking so he's not in danger. But jump out boy is just standing there in lookout mode. The car parks and the other guy, a very large young man, not muscle, is heading my way fast. Am I going to get mugged today? I decide to test him a bit. Maybe I'm just being paranoid. I cross the street casually and watch in the reflection of car windows to see what he's doing. He crosses with me, nearly jogging. That's red flag number three. And now I'm fucking pissed off. I walk another block and cross back again so that I'm on the same side of the street as my building. Big boy crosses again, trying to narrow the gap between us. Cool. He's going to try and mug me. At least my intuition was right. What I did next was not smart. I should have sprinted home and locked the door and called somebody. I was young, in great shape, and had been taking martial arts, so I took a risk which is contrary to all of my martial arts training. I get to the entrance of my apartment complex and took off my bag. I opened it, took out my box cutter, I was matching photos that night, and stood there waiting for the guy to catch up. Big boy sees me, sees my box cutter, and just freezes, then turns around and walks back the way he came, slowly, with his head down. Always trust your gut, but if you can run from a fight, do it. Thank you so much, Quad Americano, and great advice. Just glad that it ended for you safely. Our next story is by Face Palm Jedi. I met some guys in a large game of D&D that a mutual acquaintance had invited us to. Once the campaign was over, some of us started a smaller group with a good friend of mine and another's former roommate slash friend. I just thought that the former roommate was a bit of a harmless burnout, forgot names and was a tad spacey at times, even caught a couple of movies with him at the theatre. During one such outing he got a call at the restaurant we were having beers at pre-show and told someone to hold me one until I get out of this movie. He said it was his meth dealer. I laughed, thinking he was cracking one of his oddball jokes. I asked a friend that introduced us, and he said he knew he dabbled in drugs, but thought he mostly just smoked or ate edibles. Turns out, this guy was taking meth on the weekends, and staying up for most of it before crashing enough to go to work on Monday mornings. I think at some point, he stopped waiting for it to be the weekend. We had a board game slash card night planned and ended up playing a really fun card game called Smash Up. We got started learning the rules waiting for old roommates to come over. He comes walking in and immediately I know something is very wrong. He suddenly has a very bad bleached dye job on his hair and his appearance is very rumpled and overall he looks strung out as fuck. We welcome him in and explain the rules and start playing. The cards you plan on playing may change radically depending on what the person ahead of you plays, so each person usually takes a couple of minutes before playing what will get them the maximum score. Old roommate guy is getting more and more impatient, and we're joking around and he looks at the guy directly across from him and says if he doesn't play his hand, he'll fucking kill him. Everyone else nervously laughs, but I can tell that this is no joke. Just then, he slams his cards down gets up with such force that he knocks his chair over backwards 
and charges around the table trying to get swings in while I'm holding and shoving him back. He finally stops and just grabs his shit and storms out the front door before ominously saying he'll be seeing us around real soon. By the time we all calmed down, he had blocked all our phone numbers and all of us on social media. The guy he tried to attack was looking over his shoulder for weeks. This was a year ago and nobody has seen or heard of him since. Facepalm Jedi then writes at the bottom, Fucking meth, man. Jesus. And I'm with you, Facepalm Jedi. Holy crap. Just glad no one got hurt. Thank you so much, Facepalm Jedi, for sharing your story. This story is by Colorado. A few years ago, I was just getting into our local arts community. There's a guy who owns a beautiful gallery space, as well as the entirety of the remainder of the multiple story building. He does intricate stained glass work, and he has breathtaking glass installations in various sections of the building. The space is really dreamy. It was my first time checking out the space and meeting him, and he waved a friend of his over, who happened to be a construction worker that had been helping him remodel the building. He invited his friend to give me a tour of the place. I was excited over the warm welcome and to check out the rest of the building, so I followed the guy without a second thought. He walked around for maybe 10 minutes when we arrived at a somewhat isolated section of the third floor where there weren't any working lights in the next room we were heading towards. The guy made a comment to me about the view from the windows being amazing. He waved me over and was like, come on, come check it out. I felt really vaguely weird at the time and I was like, no, it's cool. I'll stay out here. I don't want to trip on anything. He tried to put his hand on my arm to guide me into the room with him. I said no again and took my hand back. The look on his face shifted and his grip tightened as he tried to pull me into the room with him. Cue panic mode. Another girl happened to be walking up the stairs around the same time that this happened. And I pulled my hand away again and said that I was going to follow her back downstairs. I told the gallery owner about it, but he brushed it off saying that I misunderstood and that the other guy has problems and that it's hard for him to communicate with people sometimes. I still see him around that town every once in a while, and he's always surrounded by drugged out girls that are clearly unable to function. Him having his arms draped around them just disgusts me on so many levels. He's an absolute creep. I've told everyone I've met that he's a predator and to avoid him. Goodness, Colorado, thank you for sharing and warning others about this creeper story. And that was the last of today's stories. Thank you so much for sharing these stories. Each story either provided a moral, an experience, or food for thought about those gut feelings. Have you ever had a gut feeling like this, just like the authors in today's stories? Let me know. I'd love to know if any listeners out there had similar gut feeling stories just like these. If you have, do not hesitate to reach out to me. My email is storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. And now, for a unique announcement, <laughs> I'll be heading off to Canada this Friday for two weeks. I am not gonna lie, I am terrified of the land sharks, aka bears. Holy crap. <laughs> I'm basically gonna arm myself with like three cans of bear spray. I heard they only last 10 seconds, so if you miss in the 10 second time frame, that's it. Good luck. Your bear chowder. 
Mind you, I think I'm possibly treating bears like a lot of people treat the Australian outback with snakes and spiders. Um, probably going a little bit overboard on my end. So, anyway, I digress. So I'm going to do my utmost to do some advanced recordings, but I can only do this if I get time. I'll let you know close to the deadline, folks, but I might be able to record in advance and release three episodes during the week. We'll see how we go. And for my YouTube folks, I might need to do something similar. Either way, I'm thinking about you listeners every day, and will do my best to try and get some more stories out this week. So, I hope you enjoyed these stories, and I am feeling some creepy pastors are heading your way over this week, and maybe even something just a little bit different. You know how I like to surprise you guys and gals, right? <laughs> so join me then, and as always, till next time.